It's After Hours with Mark Husson, a podcast for when you have absolutely nothing better to do. Here he is, your host, Mark Husson. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is Mark Husson. This is the Mark Husson Podcast, and I am so happy to be here with you. It's been a while since I've done a, a, a live and then transferred it to you other than a radio show podcast, so I'm so happy to be uh, doing this with you. Uh, th in real time, it is July 25th, 2018, so uh, you'll know exactly how far along this was and how much we've changed since then. This podcast was interesting for me because I wanted to spend time with these uh, two women. Uh, for, for whatever reason, there's a certain part of me that my Venus and Gemini lights up when I talk to people that I haven't talked to in a while or when I get to sort of join them for a sort of coffee roundtable, which is how I see this, is that, that we're sitting together and we're having a roundtable. And interestingly enough, this is a giant roundtable because we have them from either side of the globe. We have uh, Erica Longden uh, all the way over from England. And we have Nancy Newman uh, over in Spokane. And I it is so exciting because technology makes that available. So let me tell you a little bit about what I know, and then I'm going to bring them in in just some brief introductions. Um, of the two, I've known Erica the longest in terms of being here working with us over at the One Two Family. One Two Listen as an advisor, she came on with a the this sort of Libran charm uh, with uh, her 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 amazing British accent. And then she had this sort of like charm. You, when you were around Erica, and I'll, I'm going to talk about this with her, um, there's this feeling like that thing when you think about British people when you're watching TV that you're like, you know something on you is wrinkled. <laughs> like you just feel like something's <laughs> off because she, she's so she just sounds so proper and everything's so perfect. And so I remember that in the early days with Erica. I actually remember, you know, just thinking that, wow, because she was on our One Two Angel site and she was absolutely d delightful. She was always very proper and very a kind like a Libra would be. And she was born one day of, uh, from the, the person who I'm living the rest of my life with, John. And I always was endeared to her for that as well. So she's um, in our history together, just in my version of it, she's, um, I've watched her evolve into something that is sort of a, a tour de force uh, in the world. I, I see her champion causes that I am blown away by. In fact, this is one of those things where you think somebody is just, you know, waking up and and not doing anything to mess up the world and she's running out there and she's advocating for the rights of whatever it might be and it's kind of wonderful to watch it's very inspiring um, I was also got to be uh, involved in the writing of her book in the sense that I got to read it. I got to review it. I, I, I worked with her on trying to get it published. Uh, she was way more successful at that than me. And uh, it's a book called In Search of Perfect Timing. And, and, and I think I got that right. But if I didn't, we'll have her correct it with me. Um, in Pursuit of Perfect Timing. And um, she, it was amazing how she could weave this story together. It was a metaphysical story. It was. It had so much to it that it was when I first encountered an editor who was very excited to publish it, then who had quit, a new editor came along and said, I don't get this. And it was like, that's how sophisticated it was. She finally did get it published and um, it was very exciting. So I want to quit talking about her and bring her on and talk to her. Uh, if you all would welcome... Uh, Erica Longden from the UK. Erica, 
Thanks for coming here today. Hey, well, <laughs> it's hey, good to I'm, have I'm you. blushing. I know it's hot here, but oh, 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 thank you. That is a very kind introduction. Oh, it's so and true. And it's just, I'm honored to be here and um, sitting around this table. And um, yeah. just, I'm so excited and looking forward to where this conversation is going to go. I know. Me too. And Erica, you worked for Disney for a little bit, no? Or did you? Did, what Some of the more. A little bit. 12 little bit? years. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Years. Yeah. Look, 12 yeah. years for Disney. And and um, so she, so you're coming to us not just at this show, but you're you're carrying a lot of history with you in terms of the experiences, world experiences. But when you came to one to listen, it was also really special because you wanted Erica to be. Can she do the commercial for us? Would Erica do that? I remember when Audra in the old days said, you know, Erica said she'd be the voice for the commercials, and I'm like, oh my god, I was so excited because it was just right there to have you know a true Brit uh, speaking for us in such a professional way. And are you? Doing uh, voice was it voiceover work for them, Erica, or was it way more it, detailed? It is. Um, I I did some voicing to begin with. Um, the the evening programs they wanted a kind of more mumsy sound. Yeah. And eventually the management changed and they wanted all kids. So I became a producer and the person who found the young voices for the t for the TV channel and wrote all the scripts and ran the studio and. Did all that, but it's my background. I've, I've, I joined. Uh, this will show my age. My goodness, my silver hairs are glowing. <laughs> I left um, university and I went into television as a very junior secretary in 1972. Wow! So that's nice. how far back I go with broadcasting. And um, I started as what's I don't know what they call it in the states. In fact, I don't even know what they call it here now. I was a director's assistant. So the one when you see a TV gallery and they're all sitting there and somebody's calling the shots and the directors, I, that's what I did. I was a mm. director's assistant and um, I was, I worked, you were just in the general pool of PAs when I, when I did that. So you could be assigned to any kind of show. So, and, and I was, I did drama, entertainment, um, current affairs, sport, and it just took me all over the world. So I went wow. from kind of the girl who was very naive from Little Town to this huge London stage, which, my goodness, that was a growth. Mm. And it took me all over the world. Wow. And and your job as director's assistant, you basically paid attention to the director, right? I mean, it's like, were you like literally the assistant in terms of the the director's assistant, like the person? Or was it like the job? Did it have a job title that as director's assistant, I get to go, you know, enroll people or make sure everybody's here, that kind of thing? Was it really just more? Personal no, it was literally an assistant. Yeah. yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely the director's right hand person. Um, you help them with the script, you type the script, um, you pull everything together for the studio, it's your job to organize lighting, sound, get everybody together, he wants um, deal with all the artists i worked with some amazing artists my favorite artist ever i have to say this because yes. i'm just so proud i ever worked with her because i just adored her she had more talent in her little finger than anybody else i've ever met was judy dench <gasps> she was just oh. astounding oh that's so neat we got nancy we got to bring you in on this now because i know that it's like we're talking <laughs> stars now I, that's sad in you i could feel it wanting to talk let so put this press the pause button here really quick because that's fascinating we're gonna we're gonna let that continue erica hang on um so let's bring in our other guest uh nancy newman now nancy i've known for a couple of years almost a little more than that she started on radio at one two radio with us in this fascinating topic that everybody sort of takes a 
minute to get their head wrapped around as a toe reader. Yes, T-O-E. And um, <laughs> <laughs> not T-O-W, but T-O-E. And she um, absolutely charmed everyone. I mean, she did. She's it's it's not what it's not weird in any way when Nancy does it. It's sort of like it's just a matter of fact. She has a way of um, reading people and reading some of the issues they're carrying that literally they're walking on. And um she took a brief break and then came back to us in full force from her one radio show to now get this, you guys, three radio shows. And Erica also has a radio show, that I, Breakfast with Erica, that we need to talk about that as well. But three radio shows, a strange um, uh, uh, phenomenon and mysteries, soul to soul and down the rabbit hole. Can you believe this? It's like, okay, the woman is a, is a force. She's a Sagittarian. She's on fire. She is also a reader at One to Listen, as is Erica. And it was so neat to be able to slow Nancy down long enough to say, hey, would you come join us on the podcast? And I was telling these guys, at first I was worried that we maybe wouldn't have enough people or it wouldn't be interesting. And then I thought, do you realize who you have on, right? I have a, a Libra with stories and, and charm to go for miles and we have the Sagittarian the same who is who has an inspiration that when you all hear it is pretty much on fire um, she's written several books she also they both have websites we're going to get into their life here in a minute but let's bring her in on this because I know it's kind of fun when when Erica said Judy Dench I'm like no so hey Nancy thanks for coming <laughs> <laughs> thank you Mark I know I was sitting here going wow <laughs> <laughs> it's so fun it's like so she was like and, and Nancy you're in Spokane so people no, and I when I went to Spokane, I just went about six months ago. I was right on the outskirts because I went to Coeur d'Alene to actually look. Uh huh. And um, everyone corrected me on like they knew that I was being an idiot when I'd say Spokane. And um, so is yes. that like a, is that just like known in the culture? You drop the e on Spokane, Spokane. And just, <laughs> Don't uh, say it. Right. It, we have a lot of uh, Native American names up here. Uh huh. And. Spokane is just one of those native names. And don't feel bad because my mother, bless her heart, never could get it right. So <laughs> she was a Spokane our, our, lady to the very end. <laughs> oh, yes, she was. Uh, that's and great. she never could get our basketball team, our local team, Gonzaga, mm -hmm. who is a force to be reckoned with in our college team in the NCAA and she was always saying Gonzaga and I said no mom it's like zigzag Gonzaga <laughs> oh that's cute I love that yeah it's tough it's like I get corrected a million times I have to take a breath and I, I know people they look at you funny when you say Spokane at least for me they know that you're not a local and I guess they get that a lot but it was beautiful countryside it was absolutely amazing to be out there so I'm glad that you're there um Erica is uh, you. You two have never met Nancy, right? You have you never talked officially to Erica? Not officially, no. Well, Erica, no, I, I don't think we have. So, hey, it's yes. nice to <laughs> nice I to know. meet you. And I'm so impressed with you doing three radio shows. I mean, hell, I can <laughs> right? just about manage one. <laughs> I I don't know if it was courageous or ill-advised but <laughs> but there I you are in right. like a sag and there i am that is so great sag and energy i know it is sag energy and erica have you ever been over out way out west like have you been to spokane or washington at all do you know what 
I've done a couple of flights to LA and San Francisco and that side. And I always, you know, you sit in the, the aircraft and you watch the little map and it tells you where you're going along when your movie is finished. And yeah, so lots of time I've flown over what I thought was Spokane. So I sit <laughs> <laughs> At least you didn't say it out loud and get I those did. looks. <laughs> That's right. See, it's good. So you've never been there. And I. it's funny because it's one of those places that people really always talk nice about, just like Seattle, it seems like, one, until you get to the nitty gritty of it. And, you know, like every place, it, it sort of gets, I don't know, everybody has their inner, inner stories of it. But like, Erica, you live in a small, do you currently live in the small little, I, rem, I remember when Lacey once um, sort of house sat for you and it was in a little row house area. Is it still where you live? It is, but not for long. By the time this broadcast goes out, I think I will have followed my heart to Cornwall, which is where I've wanted to live since I was a little girl. Oh my gosh, that is that is a story right there. So you now, how long were you at the at the place where you are now? I moved two thousand and four into this little house, and it was it's it's a sanctuary house. I moved here after a huge divorce. And I found the lady before me was in the same thing. And the lady before that, it's a kind of little sanctuary house. So I'm hoping that I, and a lady is buying it from me and I haven't asked her, but I think the same vibe is there. And it's a house that's almost like a kind of nurturing little sanctuary. It has a gorgeous energy for you to kind of regroup mm. and carry on. It's a, it's a lovely little house. It's built 1908, I think. Oh my it's Edwardian. gosh. And is it literally connected to the house next door? Or does it just look like that? Yeah. No, it is. We call them, I, do you have them in the States? We call them terraces because they were built for the workers. Mm. Um, I don't so know. they're not separate at all. They're literally my walls either side, our party walls, we call them, with the house next door. Oh my gosh! Um, San Francisco Imagine looks like, like living it's in an apartment, but it's a house. Gotcha. It sounds like a townhouse, Mark. Yes, yes, or those row homes in San Francisco where right. they're all connected, and it does sound like a townhouse. Erica, do you know a townhouse versus what you're in? A terrace? Is it similar? I would, I would call, I, I would call this a townhouse. I know the Australians would call this a townhouse. So I'm, yeah, I'm guessing that's a pretty good way to describe it. Okay, so I watched a movie recently. This will be a, a, a sort of semi-pop quiz, but I, I need help with it. Literally, it's a movie about a woman, a two very, fa a very famous movie star. <clears throat> the movie in the movie, she's a very famous movie star, rich, who trades homes with a um a sort of country living english woman um and holiday they, thank you oh my gosh i love that you knew that and <laughs> that's what i think of where you live because when she gets there and i can't think of who even who's in it we'll have to we'll have to search it but when she gets to the to the english home it is so quiet and peaceful and lovely and charming. And I'm telling you, and it took her a minute to get used to it because I think she falls in love with the brother of the woman who owns it. Um, yeah. It, it thinks, I, I think of your place in the winter there. <laughs> do, you, do you have that experience when you call it a sanctuary? It is. It is. It, it's Cameron Diaz, I think. Thank you. That's it. Yeah, I, I think I have the movie somewhere. I haven't seen it in a while. I do. I really hunker down in this little house. It has some, um, I have a log burner and I have a little black fireplace and um, that I can light fires or I put candles in it. So, so yeah, you can just hunker down in the winter and it's, it's lovely. Okay. Now you don't get, you're not one prone to uh, any sort of like claustrophobia. You are a social Libra. Were you ever feeling ever pinned in there or was it always sort of a secure sanctuary for you? 
it's a secure sanctuary for me here now. And even though, in fact, I'm having to deal with, it's interesting having to deal with moving because it has been my sanctuary, but I just know that I no longer need to be in this town and I need to be in Cornwall. And Cornwall could not be more different. It's a big detached house with loads of space up a cliff with a 180 degree view of the ocean shit i mean it's oh lord that sounds wonderful my whole psyche <laughs> is going what have you done <laughs> <laughs> yeah mine is too except in, in a maybe a, in a really happy way like what have you done is awesome um nancy do you have you been to england conversely have you been to the uk no, I haven't. And when I was a teenager, and here I'm going to date myself here, madly in love with the Beatles. Yeah. And I had a pen pal in London, and I would beg her, just send me some dirt. <laughs> just send me some, so I can hold it and maybe one of the Beatles walked on it. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> oh, shoot. So... I anyway, to, no, I haven't. And so, but as I said, that's kind of you've been overseas, and I have to imagine, right? Are you a no. you're you're a sad who hasn't traveled much, or have you traveled a lot? Just skipped it in the in the states. Um, Canada, Mexico, and the states. Okay, gotcha. And um, I've traveled more recently than I did when I was younger, um, just because now I'm not working. Yeah. Well, <laughs> with three radio shows, yeah. but now I'm not in an office all day long, so I can just take off and go, and I'm so grateful. So, and I have to say, ahead, yeah. Erica, um, my granddaughter is named London Ava, and in you know, as nanas are are apt to do, I searched back and connected the dots and i think she was conceived in london aha uh -huh. when my okay. son and, and his wife were on the way to germany for a big meeting he's a um, area rep for k2 snowboards and there was a big meeting in germany so he and um jenny just took the time to travel and have fun and so i I think that might be the connection with the name. Yeah, it sounds like they you had know, some I fun. I love that. It's like yeah. um, David Beckham's child was called Brooklyn. And I love the convention, but I kind of think, if you think of some names of some places, it could get unfortunate. Just be careful <laughs> yes. the way you do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know there's a joke about that, right? <laughs> where, they, where they ask Very the probably. uncle, why? yeah, right? It's like at the final, at the end, he goes, why was my nephew named jersey or whatever and then it finally he goes any other questions broken rubber <laughs> it's like what <laughs> like okay it's like okay it's a little <laughs> off color early right but um so erica you you do notice still or no the uh, sort of the american um uh, idolization of the uk or no is that different now or is do you notice it still because there is seems to be this private if not um open um admiration of of Brit of britain and and the british at least it's always well, been there for me for one thing it, when it happens i'm delighted <laughs> to <laughs> welcome it um i suppose hmm. i suppose i sometimes do with clients when they comment on the british accent and, and i i kind of forget 
Oh, right. That when I'm on the site, because I used to notice American accents, but I've worked alongside you guys for so long that now I, I don't notice it. Yeah. The only time I get it flagged up mm-hmm. is my daughter lives in Australia where it's very, very opposite. The Australians do not love the British very much. Um, so <laughs> really? I, I didn't know that. I noticed it in that context. Oh, wow. No, they're, they're not so fond of us. Is it historic, <laughs> I think it's the, fact, the whole The whole historic thing gotcha. that we sent out convicts out there. And um, they have a phrase called a whinging pom. And a pom is an English person. And they just think that their native Australians are quite tough and they just think that when people emigrated and they found it very hot there and everything in Australia is poisonous and bites you, um, that we just whinge all the time. So they have this phrase, whinging pom, which they apply to us if we ever complain about anything. <laughs> I love it. That's so great. <sighs> just when I think that Erica, like when I think I, I'm sort of up and hip with some of the British vernacular, she'll come up with a phrase or and I'm like, damn it, I would have never known that. In fact, seriously, I think it was Erica who busted me on the idea that I had never, and this is really tells you I'm from West Virginia, had and and no offense, West Virginia, sorry, but it was my sort of protected environment. Um, I didn't know what Fortnite meant, and I remember um, Erica and Anna. Um, you know, Anna, um, whatever you, I know. Taylor. You, yeah, yeah. Thank you. We're like, what? <laughs> like, I did not know that a fort, like, I just had no idea what the, what the phrase meant. And then I started really paying more attention and Erica would always drop one of those every now and then. Um, and Nancy, Erica mentioned, um, pre post-divorce life. Did you have a, 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 a post-divorce life or did you engage in any traditional events like that? Did you get married, children, the family? Oh, the, Oh, yes. <laughs> I have two post-divorce lives. And um, I've been single now since 1989 oh, and yeah. never been happier. <laughs> right. So was there a pre there was there a, a um, when you look back at your life? Uh, I, I asked uh, you guys this early before the show. Is it is, is it is it okay, you guys, if we kind of acknowledge that we crossed the fifty year line? And they both said, "Yeah, it was safe. It was okay." And um, so, Nancy, pre fifties um, and probably post divorce, uh-huh. do you notice a difference in your approach to life in general? Like, is there is there one major flag that you would like to, or one major point of advice that you would want to? Im- in view on your granddaughter, for example, or um, that you carry that you're really happy that you learned that's obvious? There's probably many. I know. (laughs) Question. Yeah, there, there are several. I think what comes to mind, you know, there's those little ditties on Facebook sometime in two words or less, what advice would you give your younger self? Mm. And mine would be, don't worry so much. It's, you know, it's going to work out in the end. So don't worry so much. And my other one is be joyful. Whatever it takes to bring joy to your life, do that. And And that is stuff you feel you learned the like, okay, so those are those are great. And when I think about you being in a marriage that was probably you got divorced for a reason. I don't need to know, but I mean, you, we get divorced for a reason. Maybe we grow, maybe we get angry. Maybe there's something that hurt us. Um, then when in those moments, like if you were in that situation now, would that advice actually mean something to you? 
If somebody said, oh, be absolutely. joyful, okay, nope. yes, like in the absolutely. middle of some of the bad times of the marriage, you, you would, that, that's what you would want to take with you there for sure. I mean, I'm absolutely. not making fun. Okay, good, good, good. No, because, and in fact, I remember in the early nineties, um, that was back before I knew about life coaching and other alternatives. And I had gone to a therapist. And so she asked me one day, Nancy, what do you do for fun? And I mean, there were like crickets chirping. And I, I was like a deer in headlights. Fun? Fun? <laughs> and I couldn't answer her because all I did was work. Mm. I worked and I worked and I worked. And my only joy was my son. And... um in answer to your other question, I think you had a minute ago about sections in my life and periods in my life, yes. I can see very definite divisions and I can see how one led to another and, you know, I, I fully accept my contributions to how that evolved and... Um, I really, this might sound corny um, or tried or whatever, but I truly believe now that I've experienced all the things that I've experienced in my life so that I could help others, so that I could have empathy hmm. and understand, you know, maybe not exactly what their situation is and how they're exactly feeling. But if I've been there and could get out, then anybody can. Do you, so would you, would you summarize, too, as a no regret position in your life right now? No regrets? Or do you have a couple? Right now. Right yes, now, absolutely. No regrets. No regrets. awesome. Erica, can we, like, translate wow. that to you? I, yeah. yeah, I just... I'm sitting here thinking, Nancy, we must be psychics or something. Because <laughs> everything you're saying, I, I would have come up with the same answers. I mean, my, my advice to my younger self would be quit worrying. It's going to be mm -hmm. fine. I utterly agree that all the experiences I've had on the way to the person I am now have made me grow. I perhaps in the middle of some of them would not have chosen them but now I can see the value of them so that when I'm working when I'm, I've got people and want to listen I can I not sympathy I can empathize because yes. I, I know that when you're in that place it's it, it's the phrase I mean it's this too shall pass there's a phrase I actually use quite often with clients that said you know it's that old thing about when one door closes another mm -hmm. one opens but by hell it's it's hell in the hallway mm -hmm. it and, is. The and you don't think it's going to get better but it can and you've always got the power somehow and what you have to tap into is what have you got personally that's going to help you get through and, and we've all got something I think I mean I really do believe that it's not a platitude I really do all think we have a something inside of us if you can just tap into it and i don't think it is the same for everybody um that will get you through whatever you're going through so would you have gone Absolutely. back in time erica to the little erica and reminded her it'll pass like this would that be the yeah you, the quick message that you would as you're passing you know from day to night like lady hawk where they had to only meet at dawn you would have handed the note to the little erica that said don't worry it's it'll pass stay stay the course kind yeah. of thing 
Well, I would also have told her to, being a nicey-nicey Libran, mm -hmm. I did not speak up myself enough. And now I'm much tougher on that. My Sag moon has kicked in. Oh, um, I did, I did not moon. stand up for myself. Um, mm. And I should have done, and I'm much better at doing it. I've learned the difference. I'm Being a Libran, I would be very passive-aggressive. Mm -hmm. And very recently, actually, I've managed to change that up and think, no, I can actually speak up. I can be assertive. And that's not aggressive. There's a huge difference. But uh -huh. I didn't see that difference as a younger person. I thought if I spoke up, um, I would come across as aggressive and nobody would like me. Mm. So I would tell my young self not to do that one. That's, that's, you know, I'm writing down hell in the hallway. I love that. I have to tell you. I love <laughs> I that. Who said that. That is um, great. It, I can't, I can't quote the, I can't claim the original for that because I read it somewhere, but well, I just you, thought it you was. claimed it from me. I heard it from you. Hey, uh, Nancy, you, what's your moon? Do you know? Oh, yes. I've got the Sag sun mm -hmm. and then my ascendant moon, Mercury, Mars, and Venus are in Scorpio. Oh, your moon so ends I've rising got, or Scorpio. Okay. I love yeah, that. Yeah, I've got five five planets in Scorpio. So there's the part of me sometimes that, man, that little tail, I want to whip it out and get even. <laughs> and and I've I've learned to pause. You know, there's value in the pause. And so I've learned to pause and is this kind, you know, again, that I can't claim ownership like, like Erica, um, but is it kind? Is it necessary? You know, think before you say something. Do you really need to say that? Does the world really need to hear that? And most of the time, it's no. So then I'm able to get my little sag tail off of on guard position and relax more into life and just be accepting and kind kinder to yeah. people and and would you say that uh was there a moment a person an event like you said you were in therapy so was there a do you do you remember an epiphany moment like was there ever an epiphany it doesn't have to be it could be a person place or thing but was there ever an event that you think turned you 180 degrees into a path that you're like grateful for or was it more subtle than that doesn't certainly have to be epiphany style but um you know i've had several epiphanies going from you know being molested as a child and abused and and going into a teenager in the 60s and being very promiscuous and you know now yeah. i'm not ashamed to admit that because that was the sign of the times right and i i fully embraced it let me tell you but i didn't do drugs and i didn't drink and i didn't smoke anything so you know i thought well one out of four is not bad <laughs> so <laughs> Um, and then I got married right away. When I was 17, I got married. Did you Did you have to get married? I'm going to say that in, from our generation nope. point of view. Did you, you loved this person? Nope. You absolutely I, you well, were enamored? I'm not so sure that, that I loved him as much as I lusted right. for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
you know, I testament to your Scorpio. And no, it makes perfect sense if you have a lot of Scorpio in you. And I'm sure Erica understands it completely. Not that Mm -hmm. I know that, but I know that, um, you know, uh, cancer, you're cancer rising, right, Erica? I am indeed. Well, I'm pretty sure I am. I wasn't too sure what time of day, but I think I am. Yeah. And so anyway, I think we relate to it. But so and a lot of people relate to the idea of lust versus love, and especially if you're 17. Um, So you what can you give us a a short synopsis? Did it suddenly did did the sexual lust sort of give way to, oh, my God, what have I done? Or uh, absolutely right. Was he abusive at all? Absolutely. I'm sorry. Assuming. Oh, yes. Okay. He would, you know, not at first. You don't fall in love with somebody who who hits you or verbally abuses you or whatever. But, you know, after just a few months, it was like, oh, my God, this isn't the guy I thought it was. And he just, the sex dried up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it dried up. So the lust was gone. And then my biggest epiphany was when I was 26. I was still married. I stayed for 13 years with both my husbands. I'm I'm mm. not a quitter. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> I had a near-death experience when I was 26. And... It was when while I was pregnant, and so I lost the baby and had to have a hysterectomy. And that near-death experience was, although I'd always been psychic and couldn't understand why everybody didn't know the things I knew, and I scared the heck out of my family <laughs> because, you know, Bible Belt, and they felt threatened and were embarrassed and didn't know what to do with me. But... This near-death experience put me on the path to spirituality. It put me on the path to, why me? Why did this happen to me? Mm. You know, doesn't God think I would be a good mother? Doesn't God know how much I wanted a baby? And so I just dove into reading. I'm a reader anyway. I'm a reader and a writer. And I just dove into reading everything I could get my hands on. And then in just, you know, about four years, it, it turned me around enough that I was able to tell my husband that I wanted a divorce, even though... I believed, I truly believed there was a good chance he might kill me, Mm. but I had to get my son out of there. You know, I knew he was a goner if I stayed, and at least if I left, there was a chance. And, you know, there were some iffy times, but I've always felt protected in Mm. my life, always. And so... Was that, that husband was number second, one on, or the second? That was husband number one. Number one. And okay. then I went to husband number two. And again, here I thought I knew him. And after we got married, it was like, why do these guys change? You know, I, I found out he was a bigot and a racist and he drank and the end result was when he started preferring the company of, shall we say, female escorts, mm. I I was out of there. 
And <laughs> so, you know, I've had all the, I don't know epiphanies, oh, but I've them. had, all, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I've had all these growth periods. Yeah. And, and like when, Erica says, I can so empathize, you know, with someone who's lost a baby, with someone who has had a childhood with, um, you know, abuse and, and those types of things. There are so many people I can empathize with because I've been through a similar situation. Well, yeah, there's no doubt. And when when did you decide for the therapy? Which phase? Second phase? First husband? Second, second husband? phase. Okay. Yeah, second phase right before the end. Okay. Okay, so let's translate that over. Um, one of the things, of course, I'm going to bring up astrology, but anytime anybody confesses to having that much Scorpio, you are going to get stories like that. I just want people listening to know that's just the 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 brand of uh, Scorpio that uh, they take things to an edge and that's how they learn and it's uh, and they'll always say especially if it's Scorpio rising that they enter relationships um, and end up staying way longer than quote unquote they should it was a very good just example of a, a Scorpionic life and let's compare that not by comparison but just like Erica talk to us a little bit about your pre uh, divorce years uh, who it was that young woman um, uh, how old were you when you when you got married? Um, I actually got married quite late. I was in my 30s. I'd been in a long-term relationship before that and various other relationships. I, I think so, I read recently somewhere that you have three main loves in your life. And I looked back on my life and thought, is that true? Hmm. And I thought, actually, for me, it is. There was a guy at college that I was just crazy about. Um, went out with him one night and then he dumped me and I was heartbroken. And then so I go and have a series of other relationships. And then I meet guy number two at work that I fall crazy in love with. And people were saying to me, wow, wow look at your face, your eyes. We can see you're in love. And my pattern has been I pick men who are emotionally unavailable to me. Mm -hmm. yes. So we had a huge affair. And then that all came unstuck. And I wouldn't marry my husband for two years, even though he asked me in moonlight and grease, because I thought I don't want to do a rebound. The Libran brain was there and the shields were up. Mm -hmm. But eventually I did marry him. And it was okay for a while. But again, I picked someone who was actually turned out to be slightly autistic and very manipulative, <sighs> who went out a Leo. So when we were out in public was very demonstrative and red roses and my beautiful wife, but at home was very dismissive and controlling. And it took me a long, long time to see that. And I'm no quitter either. It was 20 years, but eventually we had a huge cataclysmic event. Mm. And I just thought, I'm out of there. And again, counseling, thank goodness. This is when I came across counseling. Thank goodness for counselors. Mm. Oh, um, yes. The best advice I ever had, because I was so vulnerable, was she said, do you know what? There's a brick wall there, and you're on one side, and he's on the other. And he's going to press every single emotional button like they're kind of lighting up buttons on the top of that wall. And your job is to stay on the side of your wall, and you don't react. Mm. It's the best advice I've ever had in my life, because wow. it got me through. Um, and then I met guy number three, who I fell madly in love with. Um, after that, which has now ended. But again, uh, 13 years, so I'm no quitter. And mm. that one <laughs> has been very formative because that I was deeply, crazily, madly in love with him in every possible way. Crazy wow. cancer. Mm -hmm. um, 
But it just tore me open to love. I think now I can understand other people's pain and love and why we pick people who are not good for us. That third one really did teach me some lessons. So I kind of, if you only have three, well, I guess I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) I I bet bet that's probably not true. But I also think uh, I've heard that thing about the three major loves. Do, Do you feel... Can you both look at these relationships uh, and objectify them enough to see what wound might you be healing within yourself? Or would you have worded it that way? Oh, absolutely. Mm. Completely. No, good. And and so now when you're talking to people, and Nancy had brought up empathy, you both are talking about empathy, um, which I think is sorely lacking um, in in a sort of public way in the world, um, personally. Uh, And so it's nice to hear that you guys have that. Do Do you... find you're more patient with people who are resistant to making those changes like can you imagine you telling somebody that you obviously see in an unhealthy relationship um and you see their resistance or their anger at you for even suggesting it i mean you have more patience with that or what i guess what can you do how do you work with it i mean is it Mm -hmm. because you all get a lot of love questions at one two don't you isn't that a big one would you say is that love one of the big ones at, at once you listen when you yeah. talk to your clients and people yeah. who are in um who've picked relationships that don't serve them or i can see them they want a relationship they quite often say why why doesn't this man why why can't i attract him to me and i'm looking at it thinking because you really don't want that in your life mm-hmm. what you want right. to do is some work on yourself to heal the wounds that we've just identified mm-hmm. from your last three that have not gone well. And if you pick the same kind of guy, you're going to pull in the same kind of energy. But I have nothing but compassion for that because, my goodness, we've all been there. I've been there. Mm. Been there, done it, got the T-shirt. <laughs> Absolutely. And one thing I notice is that I can relate to them when other people are impatient, you know, and say, well, why doesn't she just leave? Mm -hmm. My gosh, she's a smart woman. Why doesn't she just leave? And until you are able to decide for yourself, not someone else pushing you or someone else advising you to leave, you have to get to that point yourself. And even then, there'll be parts of you that think, oh, after you're away from it, well, what did he do that was really so bad after all? You know, and and you'll find yourself thinking these things. So in that respect, I believe I can relate and empathize with people while still encouraging them to do what's best for them that it's not their job to take care of the other person. Do what is best for you. And go ahead. Oh, you heard my lips separate. That's great. Yes. <laughs> okay, so the, so what that brings up for me is I was thinking as you guys were talking, what about your parents and, and the relationship of that? What? How did they contribute to this pattern and did they do you do you see something that you learned as a child and i was going to ask you both also about your evolving spirituality like how it changed but let's start with the idea of like was there do you see parental patterns being handed down here or maybe not necessarily their own pattern but how you might have put together this quest 
um, that, that that you thought was love at the time is it is it sculpted somehow by what you know what you saw in your folks Erica you first and then Nancy absolutely yeah my 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 lesson is smack on um, my parents divorced when I was quite young um, they didn't kind of want to know what to do they you didn't have therapies in the time my tiny right. town in the 50s you just kind of carried on I mean they just come through the war people had had devastating things you just you just the thing keep calm and carry on you just did so nobody mm. it was just like well you know he's gone so yeah onward um so there was no therapy there was no dealing with it so what i then replicated in all of these three big loves of my life was attracting men always with blue eyes that my father had who were emotionally unavailable to me and it was the damage from that divorce mm. and did you learn to stay with them from your mom or what do you i mean was that just something or was it just the did you pattern anything from her? Did she do the same thing with your dad? Did she tough it up, keep calm, carry on with him? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, she, I don't know what happened within the relationship. I was too young, but her way of dealing with it was nothing was said. Well, you know, he's gone. Here's breakfast. Carry on. Wow. Um, because that's what you did. Those post-war did. women did because they'd been through terrible loss, a lot of them. And real quickly, were you influenced at all by the Woodstock generation, Erica? I mean, the, the mentality that came from um, the hippies. I mean, what, did that ever fall down on you in your in England, the, the, the free love? It did. Yeah. We, we did have it. Um, very much so in London in the swinging 60s. Mm -hmm. But where I was, I, I was so out in the sticks gotcha. and very much more controlled and a little bit too young, maybe two years yes. younger than that. Absolutely. In fact, Nancy will love this story. I am sorry about this. And if I had a corner of the magazine, I would send it to you. <laughs> but it was this band called the Beatles who were in town. Oh. And oh. my mother was like, oh my God, what are these insects? And I was Beatle crazy. It was just George. I I was utterly hopelessly oh. young teen, 13 years old, in love with George. I'm just hopeless. I was all. Okay, oh, okay. that's good. <laughs> and um, they were in town, and the older kids were all going into the big city to queue for tickets. And my mother absolutely forbade me to do so because I was only 13. I would not have been allowed out at that age on my own. And it was no. And I just moped. I was devastated. And she went into work where she worked with, um, she worked in a lawyer's office and said, oh, for crying out loud, this child, she won't eat. She's moping about. She wants to go and see these insects. I don't know what to do with her. Um, and the woman sitting opposite her at the other typewriter said, well, my brother is the box office manager at the Odeon. Do you want tickets? Shit. I went from the most ordinary unpopular girl in school the runt that nobody noticed i was not one of the popular gang to the most popular girl in school Aww. until i picked my best friend to have the other ticket whereupon i became the most hated girl <laughs> 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 but i did go and see the beatles three rows from the front oh wow oh my goodness oh my god that is amazing nancy what do you do <laughs> I know that is like heaven. I'm laughing because I have a similar story, Erica. Oh, good. Tell My us. mother, when when the Beatles came to America on their tour, and of course my parents, their thing was not insects. It was, oh, but their hair. Look at their hair. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this was the era of buzz cuts and, and only hippies were growing long yeah. hair. And 
my my best friends in high school, their dad offered to take us to Las Vegas to see the Beatles. And my mother absolutely forbade it, would not even hear of it. And I was probably 14, maybe 15, so similar age to you. And I said, but, but mom, their, their dad will be there. Nope, nope, you're not doing it. I will not let you. And that's one of those things I, man, I want to talk to her when I get to the other side because I still don't know that I've forgiven her. But then fast forward, um, oh, and then my friends came home. Remember, this was 60s, so security wasn't tight. They had managed to find out which hotel they were staying in, which room they were in, went up and knocked on their door went in and partied with the Beatles and came back with Polaroids. Oh, dear God. Showing them, you know, I know. And my mother said, well, I'm sure glad I didn't let you go. And I'm just thinking, oh, Aww. mother, you ruined my life. <laughs> but then fast forward to, oh, about seven years ago, I think. Um, and I went, Paul McCartney was in Las Vegas and I got a ticket. Nobody could tell me I couldn't go. I got a ticket and I went and I swear I cried through the whole thing. Aww. I was so excited. Aww. And I sat next to a couple from Liverpool and they, you know, told me in their, their accents that I still love. They told me how they had been to see them when they played at the Cavern in Liverpool. Wow. And I just, wow, wow, this is just the greatest trip ever. Mm. And I've still got that ticket. And, you know, but that's how I think things work in your life. When I probably wouldn't have appreciated it for the right reasons when I was 14. But making a lifelong dream come true when I was in my 60s. Oh, Wow. How heavenly wow. is that? <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Were you a Beatles fan, Mark? Did you have somebody I, that... It wasn't. Uh, I, I, was, I remember laying in bed one night getting a little bit of the fever of the Beatles because they represented... It wasn't so much the music and it wasn't so much them, but they represented mm -hmm. this sort of core-level dream I had of breaking free. And I just... I mean, I've always had a dream of just being free from the family. And I remember being young and they represented this sort of like new ideology of freedom and, and people love them and they were they were famous and I just... I. I just wanted a piece of that somehow. I always had a dream of, you know, leaving home and going to California and being a movie star, those kind of things. But it was deep. I mean, I really, really, really hated West Virginia. <laughs> where I was at an early age and I um so yeah no I did I appreciated them and I loved um watching them I think it was fascinating to see these guys and then I was fascinated with the whole British invasion I mean I remember Herman's Hermits right. and um the just how all of them came out with this sort of like hair I mean it was hair was the thing it was like, so interesting that they because for in America I don't know if it was the same in England but in America was that rebellious Erica for long hair oh totally oh okay Absolutely. good Absolutely, it was. Yeah, because it was like their hair is so long, and my I got a beetle wig when one day one year for Christmas. Oh gosh, my. Yeah. 
beetle wig, man. I got to like just please. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was my first foray into uh, cross dressing. It was great, and um, so because you know it was like I'm sure it was it was a normal wi- boys wearing wigs. It just wasn't heard of until then. So I, I loved that permission. Right. It was fun, but um, yeah. So no, it, I did love appreciate the rebelliousness of it. I loved the whole concept as a young kid looking at the freedom of the hippies and um i had a natural rebellious streak and that's why i wanted to find out from you guys if you had a um how did the spiritual evolution did you start out in one way and end up another or did it stick or what and so in other words what was childhood spirituality like nancy we'll start with you see what you you know what was it early you said something about early religious stuff right yes i grew up in northeast texas in the bible belt of texas you know the baptist bible belt and oh my goodness you know I've been baptized like mm. seven times because <laughs> I love that you can laugh literally, a little bit. Literally, every church I would go to that was new, they would say, you know, are you? Oh, yeah, I was baptized. So, oh, no, theirs isn't good enough. We want to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> so they would do it again. That's funny. And, um, in the water? Where, or was it in the church? Did you have to go to oh, the lake or what? <laughs> No, I've I've been dunked, I've been prayed over, I've been dribbled water on my head. <laughs> I've had it all. Wow. <laughs> and it did. It caused a rebellious streak in me. Yeah. And I just organized religion, you know, no, no, get away from me. It it no. Uh-uh. <laughs> and it took me a long time to reconcile that. Sure. And although I still don't belong to a recognized religion, it did cause that rebellious streak. And growing up in Texas caused me to, what do I want to say? It caused me to become an activist. You know, I was very into women's rights and minority rights. And I'm glad I wasn't old enough because because I would have probably been marching in Selma if I had been mm-hmm. three or four years older. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just into it. And yet all of my teaching was, Nancy, you know, you you don't get to do those things that boys get to do. Be, and it was by example and by literally saying I was taught men get to do whatever they want, and you have no say so. Do you do you and still have a that, little bit of that? Uh, do you still have a little bit of God's watching you guilt, or have you? Is that gone, or just curious? No, of that's, him? that's pretty much gone. The the God watching me thing gone because mm-hmm. you know my feeling back then was that God wasn't who these people were teaching me about. Um, You know, and I said, even back then, I feel like I can be closer to God or spirit or universe or, you know, whatever semantic you want to use. I feel I can be closer going out and and sitting under a tree in the sunlight and the breeze and then sitting in church like some of these hypocrites are. But you took you a minute to break 
into that no i mean like oh, yeah. right because i'm sure having right after being baptized you wouldn't have that thought right you uh you'd feel yeah. it took a minute to realize that god probably wasn't going to hell you know fire and whatever it is brimstone on you right um, right, right. I mean, so it, there was an evolution to releasing some of the guilt because i know catholic people talk a lot about it being very difficult to release the guilt because you know you're told so often as a young person in religions that you're not that you're not okay. That's the whole point of baptism, isn't it? That you release the evil in you. Well, and <laughs> um, for me, it was more from my intuitive side and my my psychicness that that they wanted to release the evil in me because you know they thought I was the daughter of Satan and and. You know, because the Bible doesn't allow for this. And were you and acting so, psychic at an early age? Were you doing some of that? Oh yes. Oh, oh absolutely. And I thought everybody knew the things I knew. Mm. I I really did. And in my family, Mom used to call them "Oh Nancy's coincidences." Oh. You know, I'd I I'd say something. You know, well, gee, you know, I I don't think he's very nice to his wife or something. And then then we'd hear about the wife who had gotten beaten up and and she, well, it's just a coincidence. You can't know those things. Gotcha. So, so they were trying was, to they were trying to wash that out of you in baptism. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it didn't take. I have to tell you. Well, it that's didn't really take. interesting because it's so funny, Erica. What were were you brought up a certain religion or was it very religious in your family? Um, not very religious, but I have to say, Nancy, I'm glad it didn't take. Um, <laughs> yeah, amen. Um, I was brought up Standard Church of England. I was christened. And then when you're 14, you have to go and um, be confirmed, which is you as a, a kind of young adult taking the same vows. And my mother put me through that, but I don't think that she actually believed in it very much. At one point, I was sent when I was about, I was about seven or eight, I think, I was sent to a Catholic convent. I think because my mother felt I was unruly and out of control and there was no father figure there. She thought the discipline would do me good. Well, I have to say that convent girls are the worst because they discipline you so hard. <laughs> they pull the reins in so hard that we you, they oh. are the opposite. And that's where that phrase comes from. They use the cane. It's the only time I've been caned. They hit us with rulers quite often. And I got the cane for, and at the time, it was an absolute mystery to me. It wasn't until I took a spiritual path. I went, oh, oh, oh. of course. <laughs> I got the cane for a spelling mistake. They wanted me to write W-H-I-C-H, which, and three times I wrote W-I-T-C-H. Oh, so they Lord. sent me to the mother superior, and she caned me. Wow. Big to cane the devil out. Where do they cane you hurt. on your butt, on your bottom, on your on the on your back of your legs? So <gasps> my God, it hurts. Oh, it's. Uh, I also got caned for biting the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a he little understandable. <laughs> that's oh, amazing. Goodness. So you were beat. That I mean, kind of like, put me off. Yeah, yeah that kind of bit. put me off. Well, actually, it did me a huge favor because the area I come from has a very pronounced British accent that even as a voiceover now, I'm never asked to do. It is not an attractive accent. It's not considered to be attractive. It's a Birmingham accent. And because I wasn't Catholic and there were, there were about 10 of us who were not actually 
Catholics as such. All the Catholic children had to go twice a week to church and we were not allowed in because we weren't proper Catholics. So we had the choice of elocution or ballet. And my mother sent me to elocution, which is why, actually, God bless her, I have a speaking voice. Oh. Wow. So th there's always some good in all things. Right. I've never actually forgotten. That taught me not to be judgmental. The elocution mistress was called Miss Frith, which even I have to have a go at saying that. And there was the most unfortunate girl at the side of me, bless her, I often wonder what happened to her, whose name was Felicity Seed who had a lisp, which is why she was sent there. And the combination of Good Morning, Miss Frith, my name is Felicity, which just, I just used to on the floor laughing, which is horribly judgmental. And I sent her my apologies right now, but it used to make me laugh. That is so oh, funny. Goodness. Oh, my. And but I had no spirituality. I mean, I we did all the thing every morning at school. You would go to assembly and you sang all the songs and you did the prayers. But none of it took, because to me, I just thought this is real this isn't inside me this is something outside that i don't get how, how is this real mm. so it wasn't till i'm sort of having epiphanies actually it's a car crash that did it for me that tipped me onto the healer's path and i did reiki and as soon as i got energy running through my hands i thought hang on a minute what is this there's something more this thing that's outside me there's more than meets the eye how can i run this energy through my hands and when I look back, I come from a family of female healers. My mother was a healer. She never used it. She didn't know. But my mother, as you would say, Nancy, used to say, oh, such and such will happen. And when I look back, it always did. That psychic uh -huh. line comes up through the female line in my family. And I suspect that quite a few of them, if I've got the energy in my hands, so did they. Mm. Ah. You both had the um, – it's so nice that you, you represent uh, – a thought I always had that the, this whatever you want to call the soul that that we have a certain propensity that we're gonna that that's gonna come out regardless of the circumstance. So, you know, Nancy had it you know steeped in it, baptized several times, and and landed in a very similar place. Um, and which was to me what consciousness does. I mean, it's like, but why are there mm -hmm. then? There's those people who didn't have any of that who are now born again or you know extraordinarily you know steeped in it. And it's just like you, you, it, there's no source for it. It seems there's no there's no rhyme or reason. It's people born into really thick religious upbringings. It's some that t takes on some, doesn't take on others. It's it's kind of interesting. I'm glad for you both. Like Erica said, that it didn't take, and that you're spreading a certain kind of love and goodness. That that and your your testament to the fact that that morality and goodness isn't like the fear that so much of the uh, the conservative culture believes is that without religion we'd be amoral and we're we're all sort of testaments to the fact that there is a there is a beauty and kindness and and, and a, there some people are just nice and it has nothing to do with them being taught to be nice it just it sort of evolves um speaking of nice um nancy now in in your life as an adult woman do you, what causes do you take up do you take up causes outside of um, you know, just helping people as you do greatly now with uh, one to listen and your and your counseling and, and readings. Do you um, have a cause, a bigger cause in the world that you that you fight for, that you hold for, which you don't have to? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, I do, and it's pretty much the same as as when I was a child. You know, it's 
minority rights, women's rights. Um, you know, why do women in my family have to eat at another table after the men eat? You know, that just didn't make sense to me. And animal rights. Um, I won't say animal rights, but humanity toward animals. Not that I feel they should have the same rights as humans, but they should have the right not to be abused and, and that sort of thing. And children, you know, oh my gosh, this this situation with the the immigrant children. Yeah. It's ripping me apart. Yeah. It, you know. But one night on the show I was talking about this to Ade, who's my producer, and I was saying, you know, somehow I just don't feel like I should speak out, like on my Facebook page or in my shows, because people expect me to be spiritual. They expect me to be accepting. And Ade said something, bless him. And he says, Nancy, don't you get it? You're a spiritual activist. And when he said that, it was like, you know how when you're told a truth, and it, I liken it to a gong mm -hmm. going off inside you. It was just that gong rang, and I thought, oh, my gosh, yes. And I had worked so hard for so many years to gain my voice, like Erica was talking about, you know, being assertive, not aggressive. Um, standing up for myself, all of those kind of things. And now I wasn't feeling good because I wasn't doing that. I wasn't standing up for what I believed in, which were these causes. So from that point on, I have spoken out and I continue to speak out and I will continue to speak out. And, and do you, are you... Where did you land with the idea of why you don't talk about it so much on the on your Facebook or whatever? What what was the conclusion of that? That you because on a spiritual because he right. there was an epiphany there about you being a spiritual activist. Is it because th that you just you're following your heart? You don't need to sell it or what? I mean, what what prevents no, you? No, it was it was more of what others expected me to be gotcha. instead of being myself ah. you know it's it's like crying I cry on my show all the time and you know some people might like it but that's me so if it bothers you that's kind of your problem not yeah. mine this yeah. is who I am and this is the same thing it's like yes that's why I've, I've been feeling bad uh, feeling inauthentic because I haven't been speaking my truth, oh. my full spiritual truth. And it suddenly dawned on me that supporting causes for those who are tread upon and treated differently in our society is a spiritual cause. And by gosh, I'm there. Nice. I'm there. <laughs> Erica, what about <laughs> your position on things like in the world? Like how do you, I know you, I, I see you as pr 
pretty much really an activist in so many ways. What's your position there? How'd you get there? A little bit of dialogue about that would help a lot. I love that. Well, it's very interesting you should say this because actually today on Facebook, there's a lady who's a contributor to one of our big um, glossy spiritual magazines over here. And she has a big Facebook presence. And her question that she put up today was, how do you think or do you think that spirituality has any place in any form of activism you do? And I looked at it and thought, are you kidding me? <laughs> of course nice. it does. Yeah. Um, so I, my first phrase to her was, absolutely, it has. Um, I've been, I suppose I've, I've supported Greenpeace since I was about 17. I always felt that we had to, I didn't even know why, I just kind of knew or felt that I had to stand up for the planet. That's going to be my my thing. And people do say to me, well, you know, you do activism for this or you raise money for that. Why aren't you doing it for, say, this or those kids or that thing over there or that illness? And I said, well, because you can't do it all. And I think at some point you have to decide what really burns in your heart and you have to become an advocate for that. And it doesn't mean that I wouldn't support a charity for children or I wouldn't go do a walk to raise money for some new um, way to treat people or, or some other cause. But I think something burns within you. And if that does, then that's the one that you have to go for. Mm. And mine has always been the environment and animals. <clears throat> so that that's kind of what I did. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's fun to see the images because I remember when I first saw you out, um, you were in front of a boat and there was, I can't remember exactly, but there's a picture of you. It's in the rainbow warrior. Rainbow. Yeah, I was going to say there was a rainbow flag, but it's like, wait, but that wasn't a gay parade. I know that. But um, it was a rainbow warrior. That's right. And um so it's it's fascinating to watch our our positions. I have lately taken a position. I know it's pretty late. Um, I used to th think it meant something to say. I I finding a lot more power for me in shutting up. Um, I know that maybe um, maybe uh, counterintuitive, but here's my thought: is is and I could be wrong, but I feel like people have already made their position, and that there's very few people who are swayed. This is just my thought. Very few people who are mm -hmm. swayed. And so if I go out and say, hey, this is my opinion, I put myself up on the block to be publicly knocked down. Not that I'm afraid of that. But what I don't like is it gets me on a defensive and it, it changes the, the context of my point. So um, because then it's like, oh, look, how people now it's become an argument against the people who believe what I'm saying and don't believe what I'm saying and blah, blah, blah. So in being silent, Nobody has a clue. And it reminds me, but, but, so I get to fight my battle in a very deep way, uh, not by convincing other people that my battle is right, because they've already made their choice, uh, by, but by right. doing something, getting my hands as dirty as I want without it being seen or known. Who knew we'd have so much to say that we had to make this in two parts? So look for part two right under this podcast for After Hours with Mark Huslin with my special guests, Nancy and Erica. Thank you.